We're talking about twisted truths. And before we get into the parables, well, let me tell you what's going to happen in a couple of weeks. You might remember in last fall when we were talking about common causes, that at the end of some services, we reconvened <clears throat> back in the A-frame and we experienced a different type of worship service, a little bit more informal, a little bit more interactive. It was based on, in the early church, this is kind of probably where worship was held. What This is called an insula. It's kind of how the way houses worked in the first century. And so there is a common courtyard, and probably where worship happened initially was around a common courtyard, and it was a little bit more informal, a little bit more interactional. And so what we're going to try, we're going to do, we're going to keep our regular worship service at 1035. But beginning May, excuse me, March 27th and April 3rd and April 10th for three weeks, we're going to add a service at 9 o'clock. Again, the service at 1035 will be exactly the same. We'll broadcast it on Zoom, and that will be as it has been. We are just adding a service. And so what we'll do at 9 o'clock, we'll convene in the A-frame, and we'll sit around, we'll have the message, a little bit of sharing, getting to know each other a little bit, the thing, it will feel a little bit more informal, a little bit more interactional. There will be the opportunity to ask questions and be a little bit more discussion-oriented. So that's going to happen. We're going to try it for three weeks. See where you feel. We have some good feedback. It feels different when you're sitting and you can see one another. And there's a little bit more of a sense of, well, we know what we're going to call this service, the addition, the first community service, because this is what the first community kind of would have been like. And so we're going to do that. Does that make sense? We're going to add it at 9 o'clock, and we're going to do it in two weeks at the 27th, March, April 3rd, and April 10th. And then we'll evaluate it, see what we thought about it, and then maybe we continue it on an ongoing basis. That makes sense? Okay, good. So we'll try that. Um, but we're looking at parables. And a parable is a story with a twist. And the twist tells us something about God and something about our relationship with him. And the parable we're going to talk about today is among the most twisty, the twistiest. It's uh, the workers in the vineyard. And you'll see what I mean very shortly. Uh, uh, Jesus says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. So they went. Jesus pictures a um, an individual at harvest time. And during this, during harvest time in Israel, a farmer would hire a certain number of seasonal workers each day according to his needs. The denarius was a standard day's page. <clears throat> what happened about the third hour, he went out and saw others at court standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So the scene, he goes out probably at 5 a.m., and then he goes out at 9 a.m. in the morning. It repeats itself. 
others who were doing nothing. Doing nothing literally means they were just without work. It's They wanted to work, they needed to work in order to be able to have provision for the family, but they weren't hired yet. So they were standing around waiting for someone to select them so that they could work. Um, the marketplace sits at the center of town. It was the major gathering site for community activities. And so if you wanted to be hired out, you would go to the marketplace and you would stand there and stand around, hopefully a somebody who needs a day laborer would come and and hire you for the day. And that's how it worked. Um, the employer gives the same assignment to those he hired at sunup, and he doesn't promise them a specific amount of money. He promised the guys who he hired in the at 6 a.m. he a denarius, and he said with this guy at nine o'clock he would give them whatever is right. Um, goes on, he went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. So the farmer goes out. He went out at 9 a.m., then he goes out at noon goes out at 3 p.m., then he goes out at 5 p.m., does the same thing, hires people and sends them out into the vineyard. Uh, he gives them the same vague promise of a fair wage. Um, I imagine the workers, no doubt, had the same expectations as this predecessors. You know, so if you get hired at 9 o'clock, you figure I'll get three-quarters of a day's pay. 6, 12 noon, you figure I'll get half a day's pay. 3 p.m. and ongoing, they, they probably thought they'd get a fraction of uh, what the person who worked all day got. Um, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers, pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the 11th hour, 5 p.m., worked for an hour. Each received a denarius. So as the, the day ends, the, the, the landowner is now noting that people are working now. Now it's payday. All but the very first group hired, um, he, well, he begins with those last hired. And to their surprise, I don't think these people expect a whole denarius. I think they probably expect a twelfth because that's what they work. They worked a twelfth of the time, but they get a full denarius. And then this is where the, the parable gets interesting. Um, when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. <laughs> we can understand that, can't we? Um, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour, they said and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. The other workers, when they see that the ones who are hired at 5 p.m. got a denarius, you know, what do you imagine they imagine? We're going to get a bonus as well. So if we work at, th at 3, we're going to get a denarius plus and 12, a denarius plus more and three. And so that's what they anticipated. It's not what happened. All but the very first group hired get more than they expected. 
Um, but the last group hired protest as, would you agree, if you were hired, we would have had the same reaction. I mean, we worked all day, and they didn't work all day. And why do they get the same amount of money as I get? Um, it seems very, well, when somebody didn't do equal work, it doesn't feel fair that they should get equal pay. There's an entitlement. When you, when you feel like you're entitled to more and you don't get more, there's a frustration that comes with that, a frustrated entitlement, and they feel very frustrated. And then the, the landowner's answer is one of them. Friend, am I not being, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? This doesn't seem fair. I mean, do you agree with me? This doesn't seem fair. Um, the moral of the story really doesn't help us at all. So here's the moral of the story. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Let's stand and close in prayer. <laughs> this just doesn't work, does it? This is a case where context really helps us. Um, let's figure out what happened just before Jesus tells this parable. Here's what happened. They're talking about um, entering the kingdom of heaven and that it's difficult to do so. And Jesus says the thing, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Peter asks a question. Peter answered, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? You know what he's thinking? He's looking at all those who... They had the opportunity to come to experience Jesus, and then they go home. But what Peter says, well, I'm looking around at the disciples and the twelve. We've left everything to follow you. Is there going to be anything more for us? That's what Peter asks. And Jesus answers him. I tell you the truth. At the renewal of all things, when there's a new heaven and a new earth, when Jesus comes back a second time, this temporary earth is removed, a permanent, eternal earth in heaven. I don't know what that's going to look like. It's going to be great. But that's what Jesus describes when he comes, and it's called here the regeneration. When the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, listen to what he says to them. He says, and he's looking at the 12 disciples, you who have followed me, will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. You know what Jesus said to him? That when this new heaven and a new earth, you will be commended and rewarded for your service. You will have position. I don't know what this means exactly. You know, he doesn't give a bunch of detail. But they will experience a level of preeminence in heaven that will more than compensate 
for the extra difficulty their duties were called for on earth. I heard somebody say, God will be no man's debtor. When you give in order to serve, there will be compensation then, not now. And what Peter's looking for, perhaps, is some recognition on this side of eternity. And you know what? That didn't happen. There wasn't special recognition for the disciples. They had a tougher path. But in what Jesus is indicating, you don't give up stuff for God and not get commended for it. Um, Jesus, he said, um, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Well, inherit eternal life literally means would receive an eternal inheritance. We've got to remember who Jesus is talking to here, and then we'll talk about it, we'll apply it. He's talking to workers in the vineyard. He's not talking to those who will be harvested. He's talking to those who will do the harvesting. Those who did the harvesting in the first century were Jews. They were the first individuals who responded to the gospel. They were Jews. And because they embraced Christ, they ended up then being the ones who introduced the gospel into the Roman Empire so that 2,000 years later, we Gentiles, again, if you're a Jew, the world has two kinds of people. There are Jews and then there are non-Jews, and non-Jews are called Gentiles. And what ended up happening, Jesus inaugurated and commissioned these disciples to be the beginning of a movement so that individuals like us would hear the gospel, would hear the good news. Um, so Jesus is referring here to Jews whom he is dispatching to represent him. The parable is spoken to those who will have extra responsibility as a spiritual disciple, as one who is called specifically by Jesus to begin a movement so that in 2022, we would have a Bible and we would know the message. They experienced extra difficulties, and what Jesus is indicating, the extra difficulties they experienced will have compensation when Jesus comes a second time, heaven is inaugurated, and everything becomes eternal. Everything associated with the world in the Bible is temporary. That's what, in fact, its world has the sense of something temporary, something lasts forever. What's going to happen is what doesn't last forever will become something which does last forever. We hear the message of the gospel. And when we believe that God sent his son and his son commissioned individuals so that we Gentiles could hear about Jesus Christ, we could hear that he wants us to be part of his forever family. When Jesus comes a second time, we who believe in him are going to be in heaven. And I'll tell you what, we're going to like it. We're going to like it, but it is interesting that there is going to be those who have positions of preeminence, those Jewish disciples, 
to and through whom they are going to be recognized for what they did. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to, I'm going to make a, a prophecy, okay? When we see them sitting on chairs and thrones, and when we remember what they did, so that we could have the message that allows us to be in heaven forever. And when we think about what they did and what they experienced and how they had to leave mothers and fathers and brothers in a way that we don't have to. I'll tell you what, when we see them being acknowledged, we are not going to go frism, frism, frism. We're going to run up to them and say, man, how can I thank you for being that funneled through to and through whom I know the gospel. We're going to go to our older brothers and sisters, the Jews, and we're going to throw our arms around them for the sacrifice that they made so that we could have the gospel. And that's what the sense, that's what's happening in this parable. That's what this parable is about. It's spoken to shepherds and not to sheep. We're sheep. They were shepherds. And they had to leave neighborhood and livelihood, and they didn't have their best life now. But because they made the sacrifices that they made, we get to hear the gospel, and they will be recognized on the far side. And we're going to like it when they are. That's a, that's a prediction. Now, maybe we'll check in with each other when we're there. Hey, Mike, remember when you said that thing? You know what? Boy, high five, you were right on. Because I'm, I'm not wrong about that. <laughs> I'm wrong about some things, but I'm not going to be wrong about that. We're not going to go frism, 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 frism. I know it. Anyways, okay, Mike, go on. There was a, um, I, it was interesting when he says, and in, in that everyone, yeah, I'm still on that verse will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Literally what that says, it doesn't literally say inherit eternal life. It says they'll receive an eternal inheritance. Inheritance in the Bible. Oh, well, let me show you a verse. This comes from the Old Testament. Numbers. Here's what it says. The Lord says to Aaron, Aaron was the first priest, the first Jewish priest. And so the first kind of kinds of Jewish priests were the Aaronic priests. And here's what God says about them. You have no inheritance in their land. So if you were a priest called to divine service, you didn't get to share in the kind of earthly inheritance that other Jews shared. You were called into divine service, and that meant you had to sacrifice some things. You didn't get to be a landowner. You didn't get to have property. Well, what it says is, I am your share and your inheritance among the Israelites. I give to the Levites all the tithes in Israel as their inheritance in return for the work they do while serving at the tent of meeting. So if you were a priest of God, you didn't get your inheritance in this life, you've got things from God. You've got the tithes of the people. And that's originally what the tithe was. The tithe was to support those individuals who didn't get any other means of recompense because they were called into divine service. Um, in its, so this sense of inheritance then is something that seems to be given 
to those God selects out for divine service. And that's what the disciples in the first century were. They were called out, given extra responsibility, and they will receive an inheritance from God on the far side. Um, in its original setting, um, God would choose to extend new covenant blessings to and through the last people you would imagine. Now, if you're a Jew living in the first century, there's two kinds of Jews. There's Judeans in the south, yay, <laughs> and Galileans to the north, boo, boo, oh man. You know, the, the ones in the south were very observant, very devoted. Ones in the ones in the north were kind of slackers. You know, they didn't care as much about the this and the that and the what and the yawn. And, you know, they didn't have all the questions. They kind of said, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so when you think about who God would choose to be those who would receive the new covenant and dispatch it, certainly you wouldn't imagine the Galileans would. <laughs> He'd give it to the Judeans in the south because they are the militant ones. You know, they really care. And look what it says, Isaiah predicts. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Uh, Israel's history for the northern tribes, where was called Galilee of the Gentiles, was abysmal. They made mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. No good kings. They all kinds of idolatry. And if you're going to pick someone to and through whom you would give the gospel to the world, the Galileans would be the last ones you would choose. And you know why God chose them? Because that's why he does things. The last are first, and the first are last. The ones you wouldn't imagine would get the privilege. They're the ones that got the privilege. Galileans. All the disciples were Galileans. And Jesus himself. Where was he from? He was a Galilean as well. Individuals that you wouldn't think God would entrust the message. That's who was entrusted to. Um, Galilee of the Gentiles, of the nations, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shone. Isaiah says, and again, we're going to get through the, we'll, we'll apply this for us, this scene. Well, Mike, this, how does this apply to us? We're really talking about our forefathers. This is our spiritual legacy. This is where our inclusion began. God seeing that he wants to include us, and in the first century, this was the foundation. God picked individuals to and through whom to deliver this message in a way that we could connect with it 2,000 years later. This is our history. Uh, uh, the light is the light of the new covenant. God would shine the light where light had not shone. So he, was, he shined the light to and through Galileans into the land of the Gentiles. Um, the last in line, Galileans would be the first to receive new covenant light and shine it on others who had been at the end of the line, Gentiles. And they would pay a price for doing so. It says, God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts 
to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. When it talks about jars of clay, I think it's making a general statement, but specifically at this time, it's talking about Jewish Christians. They are the individuals to and through whom God transmitted to us this treasure of the gospel. To be a jar of clay means to be a container that you throw away. You know, there's some containers that we're going to use. Some of them are good containers, Tupperware, and you save Tupperware. Many a lot. Of, there's other containers that you just you throw stuff on cardboard and you throw it away. You know, that's what a jar of clay was like—a throwaway thing. You don't save it, you don't wash it, you throw it in the trash and you get rid of it. And what God's—that's what God's saying. They would be treated as jars of clay. What that means that they would be treated as though they were expendable, and they were. But God, he doesn't forget those who serve him. And just because they didn't receive recognition in this life, doesn't mean they're not going to receive recognition. And that goes for them and all who serve him. God will be no man's debtor. Um, God entrusts the treasure to fragile containers the treasure is the new covenant. Um, he says about what it's like, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. How do we apply this? Um, I think what he's saying, and I'm going to close with this, those to and through whom God introduced the new covenant would pay a price for doing so. And they did. Uh, they would not be rewarded first. They will be rewarded with heavenly recognition. This will happen. In heaven, God will balance the scales. Those who are overlooked, those who serve in this life, are not recognized, will be recognized in heaven. God is no man's debtor. And he will um, balance the scales. What does this mean for us? Two things. And we've looked at this before. Be thankful. Be thankful. In eternity past, what God determined, this plan, so that individuals who hear about his son would be able to be received into eternal existence. And this is what God has put together. Be thankful that God has dispatched jars of clay, Jewish Christians, so that this message would go out, we would have a record of it. And today, in 2022, we can hear their words, we can believe these words, and in hearing and believing what it means, you and I are destined to go there. When we die, our first conscious thought is going to be being with him. And I'll tell you what, we're going to get there, and I've talked about it before. What does heaven feel like? I don't know what it's going to feel like, but I know I have an analogy. I want you to think, and I've said this before. Think of a flish, fish flopping around on the shore. How does the fish feel flopping around? It doesn't feel like it's in its element. 
It's uncomfortable. It's, and when that fish hits the water, how does the fish feel? How would you, you know what the fish feels? Alive. That's the way we're going to feel in heaven. It's going to feel like, this is what I was created for. This, this is what I always looked for on earth, but could never, isn't this it? Isn't this it? This is exactly what, and we're going to swim around there together. That's what heaven's going to be like. Um, be thankful. God has um, extended the gift of eternal life to us, and when you hear the good news, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever perishes, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. When you have that, when you believe it, you put your weight in it, you become children of God. And children of God who are destined for heaven, Jesus died and rose again. And he will bring, when Jesus comes back, and we put our faith in him, if somebody, if we're in the ground, what's going to happen is our body's going to rise and it's going to join our spirit. And I'll tell you what, we are going to go home. And you know what we're going to figure out? All our life in this world, we have felt homesick because this is what we wanted to experience, a place where people don't die, a place where things last forever. That's what we're going to be. And we're going to say, isn't this what we always wanted? Isn't this, isn't this it? And we're going to go, this is it. And we're going to look at those to and through whom that gate. Come on, let's go thank them again. Let's go thank them again. That's what we're going to do. Uh, be thankful. Be mindful. The gift of eternal life is free. Absolutely free. The postage and handling through Jewish Christians very costly. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, thank you for the plan of eternal life. It's uh, We just stand and we don't understand it. it. All we know is that in the final analysis, it's really going to be good. Um, thank you for the message and for the messengers. Thank you that you are fair. This parable doesn't feel fair until we understand that it's spoken to workers. Workers who didn't get their compensation in this life. And as we hear, it's kind of heartwarming that they are going to be recognized on the far side. And we're glad about that. We're so thankful that to and through them, we have the good news given to us. Thanks for that. And for the meal that we are able to share Thanks for providing for us for what we need in this life and what we need in the next. Um, in Jesus' name, amen.